Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 35 of the Education for a Better World podcast. I'm Mike Soskal, and today it's just me. You're getting me on a, a solo monologue. Um, you may have noticed that the shows during the summer have been a little bit different format. Uh, we've been replaying some past episodes, and we've done a live show uh, when Diane and I were together at a conference. Um, today, I'm actually in a hotel room down at Walt Disney World um, here with my family. Uh, but there's a couple issues that have come up recently that I wanted to address that I think are important. Uh, and so I'm going to do the show live, and I'm kind of going rogue. It's just me. Uh, Diane's not here. I did let her know that I was going to do this. Uh, but this may be a little more controversial than normal. So tune in and uh, see what you think, and don't throw things at me. Uh, so, you know, I want to take on the role of teachers in the political space today. Um, and this has come up because of an issue that happened to a friend of mine. And uh, I'm going to address that in a little bit. I'm not going to share his name. Um, we'll, we'll call him John. Uh, that's, not his, that's not the name that he goes by. Uh, but we'll go with that for now. But uh, I want to talk about, you know, why teachers need to be political. And I know that's really uncomfortable for a lot of educators. Um, I can't tell you how many times in my career I've heard people say, you know, I'm just, I'm not political. And, you know, staying out of politics is a political choice. And for those of us that work with kids and that work in public education, um, that political choice can have negative effects on our students. Um, because if we are not speaking up for our kids, then someone else is. And what we know about teachers is that there is no other stakeholder group that has the understanding of how policy and practice intersect than those of us that are in the classroom, right? Um, I'm a parent. Uh, I absolutely advocate for what I think is right for my kids, for my own, uh, for my own children. Um, if something's going on in their education, I absolutely get involved. Uh, I use my voice to, to speak up for them. Uh, but I'm advocating for just them. And, you know, that's important that all teachers, or I'm sorry, that all parents do that. Um, and I think a lot of parents try to do that. Um, there are some parents that are incapable also, for whatever reason. And so some parent voices are louder than others. And, you know, sometimes the, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Um, but, but each of those parents that is speaking up is speaking up just for those kids. Um, if we step beyond the classroom and we look at a school level, we look at administration, um, administrators you know, have their finger on what's going on in the school, but, you know, they don't see what goes on in the classroom every day the way that a teacher does. You know, nobody is, nobody is with kids as much as teachers are. If we move further from the classroom, if we look at politicians or other decision makers, they're even further removed from, from the intersection of where policy and practice meet. We can't expect politicians to make good education decisions without the input from teachers, without input from people who actually know how policy is going to play out, what the practical implications of those policies that are being developed are. And so for all of these reasons, it's imperative that teachers speak up for kids in the political space, uh, in, in other places, that teachers are using their voice to inform those who are capable of making policy decisions. That is my fundamental belief. And I've said that other places. I've, I've probably said it on this podcast before in, in different ways. I've written about it. So this brings us to my friend John, who I mentioned before. Recently, John tweeted, and I'm going to read this tweet word for word here so that you can take it in context. The tweet says, New teachers, I'm sorry if we veteran educators have misguided you about the profession. It's not about cute classrooms and trendy ideas. It's political. It's advocacy. It's the front line of battle for the future of our nation. Go no further if you're not ready. So when I read that tweet from John, there's a couple things that stand out to me. 
Uh, first, he's taking on the recent culture in education where teachers are being targeted and told that in order to be a good teacher, you need to stay up to date on Pinterest, you need to find the best bulletin board ideas on Instagram, uh, and use the, the most trendy quotes, and make sure that your classroom looks beautiful. And while none of those things are particularly terrible, they are not what makes you a good teacher. I think those of us who uh, have been working in education and working our tails off to, to be uh, pedagogical experts to make sure that our students are empowered and engaged in our classrooms know that there's a whole lot more to teaching than having a, a beautiful bulletin board. Not that there's anything wrong with a beautiful bulletin board, uh, but there's a whole lot more to teaching than that. And I think that John's tweet uh, mentions that, that, you know, being a teacher goes beyond those, those cute lessons and cute bulletin boards. But the other thing that is in that tweet from John is that teachers need to be advocates for children that that's part of our professional responsibility. And from everything I said before, you know that I agree with him. But, you know, when I've said those things, some people may have disagreed, but nobody ever threatened me personally or, or sent me death threats or, um, you know, made public pleas for me to be fired or uh, removed from my position. Yet all of these things ha did happen to John after he sent this tweet. And I, you know, I'm, I'm guessing it's because there's one big difference between my Twitter profile and John's. And that's that in his Twitter profile, there's a rainbow flag and um, his, his profile picture is surrounded by uh, a pride rainbow. And he's a gay man. And for that reason, other people decided that um, they took that to mean that he would have some kind of homosexual agenda that he was going to push on children. Now, there's nothing about that in that tweet. Um, clearly, you know, if you go back and, and listen to the words again, or, or read it for yourself on Twitter, uh, there's nothing about that in there. But people somehow, because of their own fears or their own political leanings, um, you know, took took that tweet out of context and decided that um, they were going to to send these kind of uh, vitriolic, you know, emails and and responses uh, to John. And I bring this up for a couple reasons. One of them being that. The foundation of American democracy is America's public education system. In order for democracy to work, we need intelligent, um, educated, um, critical thinking students coming out of our schools. Uh, if, if students can't deal with complexity or have nuanced conversations or uh, engage in conversation with each other and communicate with each other, democracy doesn't work. And I think that we're seeing a, a breakdown in those things uh, in American society right now. Uh, it's one of the ways that our public education system needs to be transformed. Uh, we need to make sure that we can do those things in schools. We need to make sure that our students are, are having complex, engaging, important conversations in class. Uh, that it's not just about making sure that they can fill in the right bubbles on a test, that it's not just uh, them reading classical literature that is outdated and, and being able to answer questions, you know, based on, you know, whatever book that they read. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with the classics, but but we need to be engaging them in these conversations and, and allowing them to use their voice to advocate for what they believe in, not what we believe in as teachers. Uh, we shouldn't be pushing any political agenda that we have, but but we should certainly be allowing our students to get involved in the issues that matter to them, 
to be civically engaged. As a matter of fact, if you look at school mission statements in the United States, there are four things that, uh, that show up in almost every school mission statement, or at least some one of these or a couple of these four things, right? Uh, either it says that we need students to be lifelong learners, we need them to be uh, good citizens, we need them to be uh, contributing members of society, and we need them to be academically successful. Right? There's some form of, of one or more of those things in almost every school mission statement in the United States. But in order for us to fulfill those school missions, those things that we say we want students to be able to do, we need to empower them. Right? We can't expect students to graduate at the age of 18 and be engaged members of society and active citizens and, and good citizens if they have never been allowed to be citizens of their own classrooms and their own schools for, for the 15 years that they were in school or, or 12 years that they were in school. You know, it's just not going to happen magically. Education is the process of building the capacity in children to, to grow into that space and to be able to do those things. And when educators like John call for teachers to advocate for kids, right, to, to fulfill their professional responsibility, to advocate for the needs of their students, and then are faced with the kind of vitriol that he was faced with over the past couple of weeks, uh, with people publicly uh, trying to shame him, trying to, uh, trying to belittle him, uh, calling him some, some of the most uh, vile things that you can imagine, calling for him to be fired. If that is what he faces when making a statement like that, how can he fulfill that school mission? How can he help his students find their voice when he is not allowed to have his own? And this is happening to too many educators uh, when, they, when they step into the space of advocacy. We need our education decision makers, whether they be legislators or others uh, in government, uh, in, our, um, you know, in our communities, we need them to be informed by what teachers see in their classroom. It's the only way for our kids to get what they need. But if teachers of uh, certain ethnicities, of certain, certain sexual orientation, uh, of certain colored skin, if when they use their voice, they face this, then we are going to have less than all of our teachers speaking up for what our students need. And if certain populations of our teachers can't step into this space, then all of our children, all of our children are not going to get what they need. And America can only thrive, American democracy can only thrive if every one of its citizens feels like they are a part of this democracy. It's the only way that things work. I remember I grew up back in the 1980s and I remember uh, a teacher that I had, um, Mrs. Butcher was my fourth grade teacher. And I remember her teaching a lesson on the Statue of Liberty and talking about Emma Lazarus's poem. And it was the first time that I had heard, uh, the first time that I had heard the term American melting pot. And I remember thinking of, you know, when, when you're a child, you have these images that go through your head. And I remember of thinking of an actual like kitchen pot and things melting into it. And um, it was kind of a disturbing image at first. But, but that term was part of just what it meant to be American, right? You know, America was this place where different ideas, where a plurality of ideas and ethnicities and religions all came together to make something that is better than any one of us individually. And I think that's true. I mean, that was ingrained into me, and, and I, I believe in it. That's the America that I believe in. Democracy can only work when everyone's voice is valued. 
And that means that every one of our teachers' voices needs to be valued so that they can make sure that every one of our students' voices is valued. That's the only way that we can build an education system that serves American democracy and the way that, that it needs to be in order for it to, to be healthy. And so, you know, seeing what went down after John sent this tweet um, was concerning for me on that level. Uh, the other thing that, uh, that bothered me so much about the response was what it means for civic conversation for us. Social media has become a way that we communicate. Uh, it's just part of the world that we live in right now. And I wrote about this in Teaching in the Fourth Industrial Revolution, the, the book that I put out with five other Global Teacher Prize finalists, about the impact of technology um, on our education system. And, and social media was one of the things that we addressed in there. But social media has been a, a great place for teachers to come together and to share ideas and to build networks uh, so that they can become better at their craft um, across distances because sometimes the, the advice that you need, sometimes the resources that you need don't come from within your own school. They come from other places. And so social media gives you a, an opportunity to uh, professionally network with that are, people that are in, in different locations. Uh, but this is the ugly side of social media. Cyberbullying is nothing new. Uh, as long as we've had social media, there's been cyberbullying going on uh, with students. And it's something that a lot of us are concerned about. And, you know, I know that there are certain political figures right now, and, and I don't want this to be an overly political show. I know there are certain political figures that are not being the best role models for our students right now. Um, but other members of society are setting examples for our kids with this kind of behavior that, uh, that show that it's acceptable. If random members of the community are feel comfortable in using social media to belittle someone uh, because of their sexual orientation um, or, or other characteristics. It just happens to be that in this case. But if people are openly willing to bully people, to, uh, to demean people, to, to let the, their, their worst demons come out in this way on social media, um, to attack other people, what are we modeling for our next generation? What are they learning? And how are we supposed to teach them as teachers? How are we supposed to teach them to use social media for good? You know, I would not be the teacher that I am right now. I would not have been an award-winning teacher. You know, none of, the, none of the accolades that I've gotten in my career would have happened if it wasn't for me finding others, other educators who were better than me in certain ways on social media and trying to emulate them and learning from them and getting pushback when I, when I said certain things that, uh, that were wrong. You know, no, I, I couldn't have grown without that professional learning network that made me better. But if social media was, was filled during the times that I was uh, building that network, if I was, if I was getting um, personally attacked in the way that John got personally attacked, I never would have stayed. I never would have built those networks. I would have, I would have left a long time ago. And, you know, and, and the person we're talking about, I, you know, I give the guy a ton of credit because um, he will not give up fighting for his students. This will not stop him from, from doing what he knows is right. And, um, and God bless him for that because we need more teachers who are willing to, um, to stick their neck on the line for their kids and to, uh, and to be politically active, um, to advocate for kids even when they know that they're going to get uh, pushed back in this way. Um, we need more teachers who are willing to, to say, yes, you know, put it on my back instead of putting it on my kids' backs. Um, you know, and, and so I think that he will do that. But 
but I don't know that I would have been that strong. You know, early in my career, when I was first starting to learn from others, if, if I had been personally attacking this way, and what would that have meant for all of my future students if I didn't stick around to learn and to grow and to get better? You know, if we force teachers into, into isolation and we force them into silos and they can't grow, you know, that, that leads to, to bad things in our education system. And so, you know, I've been rambling for over 15 minutes now, and, and you know, I, th I think I just want to wrap up by saying this. There are some dark forces at play in our society right now, and I don't mean that politically. I just mean that, you know, some of the worst characteristics of humanity are coming out in different ways because people feel fearful or threatened um, or isolated or whatever, you know, because of those negative emotions, they're, they're growing and they're being fed. And, you know, people are doing things that I think all of us wish um, that, that when we think about what we want our students or how we want our students to act, we don't want them acting in this way. And this is certainly what we saw after John's tweet. We saw some of the worst characteristics of humanity showing themselves in, in the responses on social media and email that he had to face. The only way that we fix that is for each of us to look inside and say, how can I make myself better? We can't change others, but we can change ourselves. And for those of us that are teachers, we can look inside and say, how can I make myself better as a person? How can I make myself better to, uh, to lift up others? How can I use my voice uh, to advocate for others who are unable to use their own? And how can I use my job as a teacher to elevate my students' voices? How can I give them a safe place to explore what it means to be um, all of those things that we talked about in our school mission statement? A lifelong learner, uh, an engaged member of society, a good citizen, um, you know, academically successful. How can I use my role as a teacher to make sure that they can do that? Because if we truly believe in those things, if those school mission statements are more than just the words that are printed on a website, if we really believe in them and we take intentional steps to make them come to fruition, then our students will be able to have those nuanced, complex conversations that they need to have. They'll be able to develop the critical thinking skills that they need to develop in order for us to move forward and to start digging out of this, um, out of this mess that we've created in America where we are divided um, and at each other's throats um, and bringing out the worst parts of humanity. I really believe that there is a bright future, and I believe that it starts with us as teachers um, giving our students the spaces to, uh, to advocate for what they believe in and to, and to become more active members of American society and American democracy. So uh, that's, my, that's my monologue for the day. Um, I know that this is a little bit different format of a show than you are used to. Um, I hope that you enjoyed it. I hope that it gave you some things to think about. And we will be back next week with uh, more of what you've come to expect from the Education for a Better World podcast. And we'll see you again next week.